Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Amen. In Jesus' name. Now, now's the time for our reading from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, starting from verse 1. The, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But the, let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on to them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? May the Lord bless our hearing and response. Amen. was born in love before the stars were clothed in fire a silver thread drawn forth from darkness a spark of light announced the blaze an endless void at last surrendered and at first the first of days 
In gilded panoply arose flaming cherubim, lords of stars, form without matter, thought without weight, descending the ladder to the humblest of paths. And then divine touched flesh, touched sight, the race of man, brought forth from clod, with hand and mind to rule the realm, and soul to see the face of God. But void still raged to claim its child, that ancient bent and stiffened neck, and through deceit and crooked tongue bound up man's gifted breath. Thus the sons of Adam fell to Tartarus's shallow graves, to wait upon the dying flame when all return from whence they came. But long before the cosmos danced, or ere God set the skies ablaze, there was love, all in all, God from God, the Word proclaimed. Weaving flesh and soul and bone, the Word assumed man's wounded frame, to draw the deadly poison out and carry sin's unlawful claim. Death would forge the sword to strike, the shining heel of heaven's sun. That ancient wound infected still, inflicted on the Holy One. Yet sin, for all its boasts and lies, bereft of power, was trampled down. For darkness cannot overcome the fire of salvation's crown. Creation groaning in decay rose up anew, alive, reborn. The word who called life from the deep broke the shame forevermore. There was a rumor that the world was born in love. A whisper spoken true. The word, the life, the risen one. Remaking all things new. There was a rumor that the world was born in love. I am sure that Jonah had heard that rumor. And I'm pretty sure that he believed that rumor. He believed Yahweh, his God. He believed that Yahweh was the God. He believed that Yahweh was gracious and compassionate, slow in anger and abounding in love, and that this God, Yahweh, was the maker of heavens and earth. He had delivered Yahweh's word faithfully to wicked kings and seen Yahweh's faithfulness to perpetually unfaithful people. And Jonah believed. But then it happened. As it always happens to anyone who commits to following God, to following Jesus, it always happens. God asked Jonah for that one thing, that one thing that Jonah couldn't give. God asked Jonah to do that one thing that Jonah couldn't do. 
God asked Jonah to carry his word of love, his message of grace and compassion to Nineveh and the darkness that Jonah had worked so hard to keep hidden, to keep at bay, to keep pressed down into the remotest corners and deepest pits and most tightly bound boxes of his soul, that darkness erupted for God and everyone else to see. And contrary to what Jonah had been taught, contrary to what Jonah knew God to be, contrary perhaps to all that Jonah wanted to be himself, Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. And he wanted the mission to Nineveh to fail. If we haven't met yet, my name's Scott Blevins. I'm part of the teaching team here at Garfield Memorial Church. We are continuing our series on Jonah today, diving deeply, forgive the pun, into Jonah chapter 3. And uh, we got to keep this peace in mind. Well, before we get to that, I want to refresh what Pastor Chip has been saying for the last two weeks. Please, as we're reading and and studying and preaching and hearing our way through the book of Jonah, please don't let the fish get in the way. Uh, if, if, If your education, your upbringing, your background says to you, there's no way this really happened, um, don't worry about that. You know, just hear it as a great short story written and told to carry truth about God. If your education and background and history and upbringing leads you to say, well, of course this is historical reality. Awesome, that's cool. But don't get caught up in that. Listen for the truth that God has for us in this story. And one of the truths that God has for us in the book of Nona that is, is tucked away here in chapter 3, we'll never get, we'll never understand unless we really, really, really commit to this notion that Jonah wanted the mission to Nineveh to fail. Jonah hated Nineveh. Nineveh and he possibly with very good reasons. And and I want to hear that this morning. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was at that point the largest empire in the history of the world. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was the largest city in the history of the world, as far as we know at that time. And and we should know, maybe, you know, Sometimes, if you spend enough time in church, you get the notion that that the ancient nation of Israel was the height of civilization and the apex of power and glory in the ancient Middle East, maybe the ancient world. Simply not true. Israel was the the 98-pound weakling in the Middle East. They got kicked around by anyone and everyone. They got kicked around by the Egyptian Empire, by the Assyrian Empire, by the Babylonian Empire, by the Persian Empire, by the Roman Empire, probably by the Greek Empire too. I can't remember for sure. Those great empires, they got kicked around by the petty kings and lords and smaller kingdoms around them. Sometimes the Philistines and the Moabites and the Hittites and all of these other little groups. Israel was the 98-pound weakling. Assyria was the 400-pound gorilla on the block at this point in Israel's history. Assyria had a more advanced civilization. They had a more advanced government, more advanced technology, more advanced army. They were the height of cultural development in the region at the time. 
We don't know exactly when this story was written or, or exactly when these events are set. We're told that the king of Nineveh heard the message of Jonah and repented. But we're not told who that king is. And there were, you know, as with every long-lasting empire, multiple kings. We do know this. We do know this, that Jonah had part of his ministry, at least during the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel. Not a good man. We know that within nine years of Jeroboam II's death, Assyria invaded Israel for the first time and demanded tribute, made Israel a vassal nation in the Assyrian Empire. We know that about uh, 11 years after that, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, uh, Assyria invaded again and conquered a bunch of cities in the nation of Israel and again demanded tribute from Israel as a vassal nation. We know that somewhere in that time frame, Assyria invaded and the king of Judah, the neighboring country, also part of the, the Israelite family, um, the king of Judah was so enamored of Assyria and so eager to please the Assyrian king that he went to Damascus, he saw an altar in Damascus, came back and built an identical altar in Jerusalem, moved the altar of the Lord out of the center of the temple of God and put that new altar there to please the king of Damascus and then took valuable sacred artifacts from the temple of God artifacts that had been crafted under the direction and guidance and leadership of Moses according to the direct word of God and the king of Judah gave them to the Assyrian emperor to gain favor with Assyria. And then we know that within 41 years after Jeroboam II's death, Assyria invaded Israel for the third time and deported a massive number of Israelites never to be seen or heard from again. So yeah, Jonah had reason to hate Nineveh. And, and I, I can't judge Jonah. I can't because I've never been in Jonah's shoes. I've never been on the receiving end of the dominance, hegemony, and, and irresistible military might of, of a dominant empire. I've never been there. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. This was like God finding a prophet in Eastern Africa during the height of the British Empire and the height of the British slave trade and saying to that man from Africa, I want you to go carry my message of grace, hope, and love to the people of London. Or like God tapping the shoulder of a Cherokee or an Apache a few years after the Trail of Tears and saying, I want you to go to Washington, D.C. and carry my word to the people of Washington. Or like God tapping the shoulder of an escaped slave and saying, I want you to go to Washington, D.C. and preach to the people of Washington, D.C. I've never been in Jonah's shoes because I'm a Ninevite. I've grown up in the most dominant empire in the world of the time. I've never been on the receiving end never been in that situation. I, I can't judge Jonah, but I need to thank Jonah. Because Jonah did what Jonah did, the Ninevites were saved. But Jonah wanted the mission to fail. 
looked. He hated the Ninevites. That's why when God first, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah the first time in Jonah chapter one, Jonah went the opposite direction from Nineveh. Jumped in a ship, headed across the Mediterranean Sea, getting as far away from Nineveh as he could. The storm came up. Jonah was okay with that because he would rather die than see the people of Nineveh saved. He said that explicitly to God after the people of Nineveh repented and God relented. Kill me, I don't want to live through this. He would rather die. So the storm was coming. He was asleep in the bottom of the boat. The the sailors came and woke him up. They said, you need to pray to your gods. He said, we don't need to go through all of that. I know why the storm's happening. It's because of me. My God, Yahweh, is mad at me because I'm being disobedient. I'm not being faithful to him. So if you want to save yourselves, you need to throw me into the sea. Jonah, this is why I think Jonah wasn't just a xenophobe who hated everyone who wasn't Israeli or everyone who wasn't Jewish. um, Because Jonah could have said, God, fine, kill me. You're going to have to take all these sailors with you and what's you know that's okay with me because it's just a few more of those Gentiles that get to die he could have done that but he didn't and Jonah didn't really repent not even when he was in the fish after he'd been swallowed by the fish he didn't repent he didn't say oh now I get it God you love all people and so I too will love the Ninevites he didn't say that either he could have prayed that and asked God to calm the storm and then gotten on the next boat going the other direction it would all been cool what he said was, I would rather die than go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. So throw me in the sea. And even in the fish, even in the fish, when he relented, recognizing that God was not going to let him run away, he said, I'll go. I'll go. But I still want it to fail. I still want it to fail. We hear these words from Jonah himself. Jonah seemed, when they repented and God relented to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He wanted the mission to fail. And so... So Jonah, well, he did repent-ish. Maybe we could make a TV show out of that, (laughs) repent-ish. See, faith, there's two parts to faith. We miss it in the English language because in, in our vernacular, we make faith and belief synonyms. But belief is only one leg of faith. There are two legs of faith. And, and if you cut off either leg, there is no meaningful faith. Faith has no impact, no power for anyone. The first leg of faith is belief. Paul said it. Unless you believe in God, how can you repent? And, you know, you got to believe. If you, if you don't believe, there's no possibility of faith. Jonah was off the charts in belief. Jonah may have have had more and stronger belief than anyone in the Bible except part maybe from David and Jesus. When, When, you know, Pastor Chips pointed out multiple prophets in the Bible argued with God when God called them and sent them on particular missions. Moses argued with God. Isaiah argued with God. Jeremiah argued with God. Those three prophets, you can sum up their arguments in this way. God, I'm inadequate. Don't send me because the mission will fail. I don't really believe it will succeed. 
I'm not going to put it on you. I'm inadequate. But they didn't believe it would succeed. Jonah was like, I'm not going because I know it's going to succeed. Right? That's a totally different kind of thing. He had no, I mean, he had, talk about belief. My goodness, this guy had belief out the wazoo. I'm not going to Nineveh. If I go to Nineveh and preach, they're going to repent. The mission will succeed. The mission will succeed. I, I, I want it to fail. So he ran away. He had belief off the church, but he, he lacked the other leg. The other leg of faith is obedience. Obedience, the classic definition of faith is obediently hearing the word of God. So Jonah's belief was off the charts, but his obedience was non-existent in the first two chapters of the book of Jonah. Then finally, in chapter three, when God said, okay, you've been in a storm, you've been in a fish's stomach, and now you're back to where you started, let's try this again. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and Jonah repented-ish. And he said, I'll go, I'll go, but I'm going to do the least I can possibly do and still be obedient to you, God. I'll have faith, but it's going to be that much, that much faith. And Jonah did the least he could do. We hear it there again in the beginning of of chapter two. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. We don't know exactly what that means. Geographically, the size of Nineveh, if you wanted to get through it, you could walk straight through it in a day or less. Um, some scholars say that this, there were two other cities in the region, large cities, and that whole region was known of Nineveh, as Nineveh, and that was the area Jonah was supposed to cover. Or, or I think maybe, and, and this is just a hunch, that, that, that maybe it's like, you know, if you really want to canvas the whole city, it's going to take you three days to hit all the major areas. Three days. We know it was three days. It's a big city. What did Jonah do? Jonah began by going one day's journey into the city. He proclaimed his sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The least he could do. One day into a three-day city, and he preached a one-sentence sermon that he would, have, he would have failed every preaching class I ever took, would have failed every preaching class Chip and Terry and Steve ever took, you know, I can hear the critiques now. Jonah, Jonah, where's the appeal to the intellect? You didn't even explain the background and history of what's going on here. Jonah, where's the appeal to the heart? You haven't talked about how the children will suffer unless the people were... Jonah, you never even mentioned God. Where's God in this? You didn't even mention God. You said the city would be overthrown. What are they supposed to send out scouts to see if the Babylonians are coming from the north or the Egyptians from the south? You really botched this message. You can't preach this, Jonah. All those people will die. And Jonah's going, yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. He had no strategy. No missional strategy whatsoever. None. Any, any, any missional consultant would have, would have shaken his head and say, I want nothing to do with this mission project. Don't put my name on it. I am not a sponsor. Because he didn't do any fundraising. I mean, this is the largest city and the largest empire of the world. He didn't gather funding support from his home base. He didn't send out advanced teams to get to know the culture, to build relationships with local people of wealth to help fund the mission there, and influencers to help get the word out from indigenous 
folks. He didn't, he didn't build an organization that would engage in follow-up. He didn't do canvas the city with flyers to make sure everybody came to the big event because there was no big event. There was no flash. There was no bang. There was no splash. There was a dude walking one day into the city saying one sentence, and then he went outside up to the top of the hill and was waiting for the fire and brimstone. And if anyone said, Jonah, you are a total failure here. You did the least you could possibly do. And Jonah said, that's right. I told God, God told me, go to the city and give them the word I give you. I went to the city, I gave the word, I, I did exactly what God said and nothing more. And Jonah had the single most successful preaching campaign in history. How many young, arrogant preachers, I'll put mine, I've done this before, oh, take this city for Jesus. Jonah's the ever, only one who's ever done it. Ever. No one else in the Bible, there's not a single preaching event recorded anywhere else in the scripture where the entire city repented. At least not a city the size of Nineveh, maybe the woman at the well, but that was a little village in Samaria, not the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And what did Jonah do? Exactly what God told him to do. And not one ounce more. That raises an interesting question for me. Am I overdoing it sometimes? Are you overdoing it sometimes? You see, when we overdo it, we can get in the way. Jonah's least left room for God's lots. Jonah's least left room for God's lots. I know I'm straining the alliteration there, but I got a little Baptist influence in me and I can't help it sometimes. <laughs> the Ninevites believed God, according to, you know, starting at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest of the least, put on sackcloth. Fasting and dressing in sackcloth were traditional signs of repentance. Humbling repentance. They were saying by their actions, they were taking physical action to say, God, we humble ourselves before you and we turn from our ways. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This was the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I wonder if, I wonder if they had any little bunny rabbits in sackcloth. No pictures. No one had their phone. Let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. The idea there is we're all repenting. And this affects all of us. They'd heard the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God's wrath doesn't spare the livestock. Let them give up, well, let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways and he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah's least left room for God's lots. Did you notice? Did you notice what Jonah didn't say? Jonah didn't say, God's going to punish you. But the people heard that. 
Jonah didn't say, you're a violent people and you need to repent and turn away from your violent ways. But the people heard that. Jonah didn't even say, it's God that's sending this message, but the people heard that. I think so often in the church, we feel like we got to fill in all the blanks for everybody. We know, of course, we know what's wrong with everybody, so it's only right that we tell them what's wrong so they have an opportunity to repent. And that works so well because I don't know about you, but I love it when people get up in my face and tell me what they think is wrong with me. The first thing I do is say, oh, you must be right. Let me change because of you. But we do that. Even though Jesus said that, he said, what's our job? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. What's the Holy Spirit's job? Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin. But we fill in the gaps and we want to fill in and overfunction and overdo and take on the responsibility of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid people will miss it. And when we do that, people immediately, their defenses go up and they say, I don't want to hear it from you. I'm tired of your judgment. I'm tired of your condemnation. Who are you to tell me anything anyway? But when they hear it from God, when we do just what God tells us to do, and we leave room and space and quiet for God's voice to be heard, then there's opportunity for stuff to happen, for amazing, powerful, incredible stuff. So the question is, are you overdoing it? And the mission and the ministry God has given you, are you overdoing it? I I do. I don't know whether I was born this way. I don't know whether it's genetic or or socialized nature or nurture. I don't know what, but I've been like this for a long time. You know, 30 years ago when I was, well, not that long, 25, 20, yeah, 30. It is that long. (laughs) 30 years ago when I was a full-time camp counselor in the summers, I I was known as the king of overscheduling. You know, we were told when we went in, you know, there's a lot of different big options you can do with campers. And we were told one or two of those a week is great. I thought, well, if that much is great, that much must be awesome. And, and, And I measured success by how exhausted my campers were at the end of the week and my co counselors. And, and I had a blast doing it. I was exhausted too. I slept for the weekend and came back and we did it all again the next week. And I quickly became known as the king of overscheduling in my summer camp counseling years. And that was kind of funny then. Not so funny for my co-counselors, but it was fun for me. Later in life, it became not fun. As, as I became a workaholic trying to overfunction, and when things didn't seem to be going according to the vision or according to the plan, my solution was to work harder and work more. And then when I experienced a, a very unique call and vision in my life that I really believed then and believe now was the word of the Lord coming to me, and I responded to it. And I ended up taking a leave of absence from pastoring to pursue that because the, the call that I had heard from God didn't fit in any of the, literally, this is true, didn't fit any of the blanks in the United Methodist forms, so I had to take a leave of absence um, to pursue it. And, and I saw a vision of, of a school for at-risk teens going into a vacant, large vacant building in Tiffin, Ohio, where we were living at the time. 
And about eight and a half years after I saw that vision, um, that school moved into that building. It was a brand new school that I helped start and moved into that building. And don't clap. I thought I heard, I wasn't inviting applause. I just thought I heard someone start one out there. Don't. Because when I look back after it was all said and done, and I was able to acknowledge, yeah, this was God. This was God. I looked back over what I had done leading up to that. And, 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 and I could see very clearly, I believe this was God too, very clearly the things that I needed to do for that vision to happen were about that much. And what I'd been doing for the past eight and a half years was about that much. And I wreaked havoc on my own spiritual life and my family and my other relationships. Scars that my wife and my children, my family are still grappling with today. I was overdoing it. I was overdoing it. And it happened, but I missed the blessing, most of it anyway. Jonah missed the blessing too. He missed it too. I got to say, and I can't pre- I don't want to preach beyond chapter three, but I got to give a little bit here because I can't, it's too down. I can't leave us here. I hope I'm not overdoing it with this. But there's something beyond faith. Faith is essential. Faith is foundational. It's essential. It's necessary. And there's power in faith. The apostles said to Jesus, In the book of Luke, chapter 17, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, if you have that much faith, you can say to that tree, go jump in the sea, and it will do it. The implication being that I'm pretty sure the disciples caught was that if it only takes that much faith and it's not happening, then I shouldn't be praying for more faith. Maybe I should just be praying for faith. Just a little bit of faith. I wonder sometimes whether Jesus was thinking of Jonah when he said that. Because Jonah, Jonah's belief was off the charts, but his faith was just that much. It was that much. And an entire city turned to God and was saved. Faith is essential. But Jesus also said this right after those words, and I'm skipping a slide in there. Um, Go ahead and go to the one that begins with suppose one. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So also... When you have done everything you were told to do, when you have been perfectly faithful, doing what you were told to do and nothing more and nothing less, you should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. But Jesus said, you're not my servants anymore. You're my friends. You're my family. You're my sisters. And you're my brothers. There's something beyond faith. 
Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said three things. This heaven and this earth are passing away, but three things will abide. Three things will remain. Three things done now and this life will endure into the next life. Things done with faith, things done with hope, and things done with love. These things last forever. And the greatest of those, Paul says, is love. And that's right along with what Jesus said when he said, all right, you want to know what you need to do? You want to know how to be obedient to me, to live out your belief, to have actual faith? Don't keep sitting back and just waiting for a word from the Lord. Sometimes God gives us that. Sometimes he doesn't. But he's already given us this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Not judge, not condemn, not micromanage people's lives, not build empires, not love. Love. God has taken all of the other stuff as not our burden to bear. We're free. It's Independence Day, right? Can we talk about freedom? I'm so glad we have Juneteenth now to celebrate as a national holiday. It's been there, but it's a national holiday now, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for the 4th of July Independence Day celebration too. Um, What are we free to? What are we free for? Heard a, uh, a, a radio talk show host a number of years ago saying, because our forefathers died and fought those battles and did all of those things, we are free. And he was celebrating this to buy big screen TVs and big houses and drive big cars. I'm like, yeah, I guess. I'm not sure that's what Jesus had in mind when he died to set us free. He freed us to love. To connect meaningfully with diverse people. To connect in a humble way that says, I want to put your needs ahead of my own. I want to learn from you and from your culture. To love them as God loves them. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And leave the rest to God. Imagine... If we had the faith of Jonah, God, I I just want to do just what you tell me to do. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't need a production. I don't need a show. I don't need all the drama. I don't need to micromanage. I just want to do what you're telling me to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And what God can do with that Look what God did with Jonah with that. And Jonah didn't have the the hope or the love. People were saved. He missed the blessing. That school came into existence. I missed the blessing. He lacked hope and love. I lacked the faith to do just what I was told to do and nothing more. Jesus Jesus knew how not to overfunction. That was one of the temptations that, that Satan gave Jesus, dangled in front of Jesus. Woo, Jesus, you got a big job to do. You got to save the whole world, Jesus. All these people, and it's in bad shape, Jesus. And Satan's like, I know, trust me, Jesus, this world's in bad shape. I've been doing my job well, all right? What you need to get this done, Jesus, you need a splash. 
You need a show. You need a production. Let me tell you what, Jesus. Pick a festival day when there's like everyone's at the temple. Get up on top of the temple. How do you get up there? You're the son of God. Figure it out. Get up on top of the temple and jump off in front of everyone. And when they see you touch the ground, do that perfect superhero landing, boom. They'll say, man, look at this guy. He's not only like Superman, he just fulfilled a prophecy in Scripture. This must be the Messiah. Let's follow him. And Jesus said, no. No, I I don't need the show. I don't need the splash. I don't need the production. I just... I just need to die. And I'm human, so that should be pretty easy. And that's what he did. And then hanging on the cross, that's, it must be such a powerful temptation because Satan came back to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross with the same temptation. Jesus, if you just came down from the cross we would believe. Can you see that? I mean, that's a great scene in the movie. He's up there. He's got the nails in his arms and his feet, and he's just there, and he's like, everyone's, oh, you're, you're gonna, and he just grins at him. You know, he gives him that, that Sylvester Stallone, yeah, yeah, and he flexes, and the nails just pop off, and then he jerks one foot off and the other foot off, and he hops down on the ground, and he picks up the cross and starts beating the soldiers with it. That's a great scene in the movie, right? And people would have said, he must be the Messiah, who else could have done? No one has ever done that before. And then when Jesus, but he didn't do that. He died. And then when the big moment came, when the opportunity for the big flash and the big bang and the big production came, he did it when nobody was around. Why didn't he wait for the funeral to come out of the grave? Can you imagine what that, all of the people gathered around the tomb and start shaking and light starts pouring around there. Boom, the rock blows out and Jesus comes out. Oh, the Messiah. There was nobody there. Because he didn't need the production. He didn't need the show. He didn't need the splash. He just needed to do what God told him to do. And that... That was simple. Allow your body to be broken. Allow your blood to be shed. Anybody can die. Any of us can do that. That doesn't take anything and no special talent. I expect I'll do it one day. Jesus laid down his life not with a flash not with a bang he just died and he gave us that to remember him by so take the bread that you have if you're at home bread crackers whatever you've got there take that and eat it and remember that Jesus obeyed God did nothing more and nothing less. And his blood was shed when he did that. The Bible tells us over and over again that the life is in the blood. And so Jesus' life was spilled out. His blood was shed. And take the juice and drink it and receive his life. And as we go from here, remember that we go from here free people. People free to give up the burden of overdoing it. 
talk about repentance in America. Giving up overdoing it? Free to give up the burden of overfunctioning. Free to do just what God says, nothing more and nothing less. And loving, sharing, humbling ourselves, connecting with diverse people. And we'll leave all the judgment and all of the condemnation and all of the convicting of sin to the Holy Spirit. And if we just do that, if we just do that, maybe we'll see this amazing thing that people hear God and respond and repent and are saved. In Jesus' name, amen.